All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, you got your boy Zage in the house, and this week joined by not a musical person, someone even cooler, even more exciting. We have a comedian in the house. I met this person at USC studying branding because he takes his life seriously and he's trying to really move forward in the world of comedy. Uh, everybody, please welcome JT Tomlinson to the house. And this is where we all applaud. Woo! Yeah, all right. <laughs> How we doing? Um, so JT, where are you initially from? Uh, so I moved around a lot as a kid. Actually, I was born. Uh, I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, mm. which I'm not Mormon. This, this could have gotten real weird, <laughs> right up at the top here. Right. Not. <laughs> Why the moving around? Uh, well, my dad just kept getting different jobs, and so we moved to like Michigan, and then Indiana, and then Michigan. I think by the time I was three, we had ended up in California. Okay. Um, so then yeah, I, I lived in Palm Springs for a few years, and then um, uh, my mom married my stepdad, and we moved to Santa Barbara. Okay. So I grew up in Santa Barbara from when I was like six. How young were you when your parents split? Was it a rough one or an easy one? Well, it was, I mean, it was decently easy because like my, my dad was a meth addict. Okay. And which kind of like, my it father, just makes it easier because he's not around. comes from addiction. Okay. Yeah. Yes, he was just off doing meth. There wasn't like a lot of fighting <laughs> and people throwing things. He just wasn't there because he was doing meth. So honestly, it just it made it way easier. Sure. And I was probably three, so I don't really remember too much of okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got to grow up my whole life with having this trauma of my parents being divorced. I didn't, And I didn't even really have to suffer through it, <laughs> which I'm so grateful for. Well, so now actually my mom and my stepdad are getting divorced, Ugh. which is total bullshit. Damn. Because I thought I already did that. Yeah. And uh, and I mean I I'm off at college for this one, but this one's definitely harder. Are you really close with your mom? I'm very close with my mom. Yeah, yeah. How uh, how are you helping her work through this? Or well, can you? I mean, I try. She just kind of calls me and yells at me about whatever she's mad about, which is something that I told her. Like, look, you're probably gonna be upset at a lot of points. Just please call me and take it out on me because I want you to win this divorce. Mm -hmm. Basically, mm -hmm. and I said like I don't want you to do anything that's gonna fuck up your chances of coming out of this. Like in the best situation you can be. So if you need to take shit out on somebody, just call me. I'm fucking here for that. And uh, and so, yeah, that's helped a lot. I completely understand. Uh, yeah. Funny enough, my grandmother also went through a recent divorce. Okay. Uh, my, my family's pretty young, so my grandma's only 60-something, um, like early oh, wow. 60s. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so I would imagine probably close to where your mom's age is. Yeah, I mean, my mom is, she's going to be 52 in September. Oh, okay. So not really, actually. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Did you meet your dad or like, did you stay in contact with your dad rather after he left? Well, so I did kind of, uh, there were points when I was growing up when he would get sober and we would go see him and we would all like kind of pile in the car like, let's go see him before he relapses. Oh, yeah. Is it <laughs> which right? is, which sounds sad, but I totally say that as a joke. I mean, it's true, but I think it's fucking hilarious because <laughs> it would just happen all the time. Like I was being raised by this great stepdad which is awesome. Like I had all the, the fatherhood I think that I needed. I see. But at the same time, I was old enough to remember that this guy was actually my dad. And so we would all go see him and then he'd relay and then we'd all go see him. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we have a, a strange relationship because all like now, because I'll call him a lot and he just won't answer. And I'll just continue to call him as a joke just to kind of <laughs> fuck with him. Just cause I know he's not doing meth. He's like, he's sober now. He is super sober. He did. Okay. He got sober. Yeah like 10 years ago yeah okay and he's been you know just kind of trying to get it together i mean meth addiction is something that's hard for sure to get back from but um so i'll just call him and he actually texted me my birthday was two days ago and so he texted me on my birthday like happy birthday and i texted him back new phone who is this <laughs> <laughs> 
just because like <laughs> what do you think of that it was one of those things well it, so it was one of those things that like i thought it was so good that i didn't even have the chance to like weigh it as like is this a bad idea before i sent it yeah. and he kind of gave me like a half-hearted like lol because <laughs> i think he just knew it was such a good burn yeah. And he's like, by the way, like the funniest guy I've ever met. Really? So he totally, I know he totally gets the joke exactly. So he knows how fucking sick it was that I did that to him. I'm so proud of that. Do you think that you took away a lesson about maybe drugs from that experience? Well, I think so. I mean, I definitely have done a good deal of my own drugs, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, I'm sober from now. All of them. All drugs? I got, yeah, I quit Coke and I quit weed um, and I have like three months with no nicotine. Nice. So, but I do drink alcohol. Somehow I've never had a drinking problem. Okay. So I'm working on that. Hopefully get a drinking problem. Can because, be chill. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm going to have a drinking problem at some point. <laughs> so I'd like to just get that over with now <laughs> so I can quit alcohol too. And then I don't know what you have after that soda. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Uh, one of our professors just told us that he has never had soda, caffeine, or alcohol in his entire life. That's bullshit. I, There's no way. I, it was Kaminsky. <laughs> was it Kaminsky? Yeah. I was like, what? That's total bullshit. Um, so when you moved to LA, you were pretty young. Did you find yourself kind of absorbed in comedy early on or as you got a little bit older? Well, so, well, growing up in Santa Barbara, I mean, it's, it's like a couple hours up the coast, but I'd come oh, down yeah, to so LA a lot. It's SoCal. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I didn't really, well, so I started actually with music. I started, when we moved to Santa Barbara, I pretty much immediately started taking like guitar lessons. So I was like six years old. Oh, wow. And I grew up like playing in bands. I was like singer and guitarist in like punk rock bands all throughout high school and junior high and stuff. And so, you know, singing, playing guitar, drums, bass, piano, all that shit. So I kind of got that like stage experience that is a big deal for comedy. Oh, I see. So while I wasn't really doing the comedy thing, I wouldn't be able to do comedy, you know, as much as I am now if I wasn't comfortable in front of people. And even later in high school, like I started doing like some formal public speaking and stuff because there was like a nonprofit that I got involved with that had to do all these pitches and stuff. So I would go out and pitch like investors and and you know venture capitalists and stuff basically like give me money which is a nerve-wracking thing to do yes to ask for money even if it's for a good cause especially when you're like 17 or 18 it's actually my mom's job she works for a nonprofit and she sells uh advertisements like sponsors and stuff like that like big deals the exact same thing you're talking about oh yeah no no it's a huge deal we actually my senior high school we raised like four hundred thousand dollars that's amazing which it was like our whole like economics class there's a nonprofit called kids helping kids They're, they're still doing great things and it's it's run out of the economics class um and the teacher who's who's still a good friend of mine um he started in like 2002 and to date, well, it's been four years since I graduated high school. They, they're probably raised in the five, six, seven million dollar range. That's crazy. You're just school alone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Oh, those guys are crazy. They're doing insane things. What, uh, where did you, you get to school in Santa Barbara? Yeah, at San Marcos High School in wow. Santa Barbara. Yeah, you had to give them a shout out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, so, those guys, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing if not. Do you think the vulnerability of performing music on stage uh, transferred into being more vulnerable with your comedy on stage? Because I know a lot of comedians don't really get super vulnerable. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it depends, well, it depends what you mean by vulnerable because you can be vulnerable in your delivery of something, which is just being honest and kind of willing to critique yourself as you go. Because a lot of times, by the way, if a joke fucking sucks or just in that moment, if you're totally bombing with it, if you can turn it on yourself and just kind of have a funny reflective line about something relating to the fact that your joke is bad mm. 
that could be the biggest laugh of the night, and that's what's going to make or break your performance. Definitely. So, but then there are a lot of comics that you know kind of are, are vulnerable about you know who they are, what's going on with them, and I think that that definitely does help. Sometimes, sometimes you can be too vulnerable, and then people think it's weird. So you have to you have to fit it in there just perfectly. Have you ever experienced that? I absolutely have. I had a joke. So, um, <laughs> like like a year and a half ago, my my grandma passed away, um, and and she was eighty, so it was totally cool. But well, I mean, it wasn't cool, but she lived. <laughs> She had lived at that point. I mean, this lady fucking lived. It's not, you know, she didn't die young. Um, and, uh, but she was an 80 year old. I mean, whatever. She's my grandma. I, I'm, I'm going to stop giving myself shit. Uh, <laughs> Definitely don't give yourself shit. So she died. So basically, what happened was she had fallen and basically died. And mm. she had a DNR, which is a do not resuscitate. Oh. And, um, and they, they fucked up the paperwork and they resuscitated her. They brought her back to life. Oh my God. So now she's sitting there in a coma in a hospital bed in Orange County where my, both my parents grew up and all my grandparents live. Mm-hmm. They all, all my grandparents, because my mom's family and my dad's family are totally not close to each other at all. Like most of my dad's oh. family was like addicts in their own rights. Oh. But all these people live in different parts of Orange County. <laughs> That's pretty bizarre. I had some in like Fullerton, some in Yorba Linda. Couple in Santa Ana, I think one in Tuston, which is like right next to Santa Ana. That makes basically. sense. You don't just move to and get away Anaheim from your Hills. ex's family. I just I think yeah. it's funny that they could all convene. It would take them like a five minute drive to all meet in the middle. <laughs> and they don't speak. I think it would be yeah. hilarious. Um Does that make it complicated for you to like visit them and build relationships or do you build relationships with them? I mean kind of. I try to. At this point they're getting pretty old. And uh I don't know, man. It just it would be a lot of work. And I don't really know what the reward is because at a certain point, it's like you get close to those people, but then you probably are just going to find out they're a bunch of fucking weirdos. Mm-hmm. And now you've made this big effort to extend yourself into their life. So now they're calling you. I just... I, I see. I mean, maybe... And here's the thing. Half of them aren't around. Yeah, yeah. Half of them I couldn't get a hold of if I wanted to. So... Okay. I think I asked because my someday. family, same mm-hmm. kind of situation where my parents split when I was pretty young, but I have a very unique situation where my two families are like really able to communicate well and like exist in the same space like my dad and my stepdad have done like work together and, and engaged in activities together and oh, wow. my mom's family and dad's family like meet together for events sometimes even though they're not together See, yeah my dad and my stepdad met once and it was very strange yeah it's interesting i love to tell people yeah. like oh yeah these are my dads <laughs> your dad's and this is my mom <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like what was it like it's like a surrogate it's like no no first me is total I just love the look <laughs> on people's faces. I, I really do like it. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, with the, with the vulnerable stuff. Is that what we were talking about? I just, yeah, sure, sure. Totally, I was going to ask a little bit more about how you got into comedy. Totally fucked up pronouncing the word vulnerable. Oh, yeah. You were going to tell a story about what happened. Oh, yeah. I want to know. Right, right. So me and my mom are sitting there in the hospital bit, in the hospital room. My grandma's lying there on the bed, just in a coma. We're basically sitting there like, okay, we know that the next step here is we pretty much have to pull the plug. Yep, familiar with the situation. Which is awful because, I mean, you know, like if she had fallen and died, it would have been terrible, but we wouldn't be sitting there having to make that decision. Of course. But then they come in and they tell you, well, best case, you know, she regains like 10% of her brain function. For how long? For, yeah, for, I mean, who knows? Mm, But she's 80 at that point. Exactly. So you just, you're sitting there, you go, well, fuck. I mean, what are we going to do? Like, there's no point. Anyway, and I said to my mom... God, what did I say? I turned to my mom and I said something along the lines because we've been crying for hours and this this fucking brilliant joke comes into my head. <laughs> I turned to my mom and I was like, you know, mom, people say everybody handles death differently. And she, she kind of looked up at me. She's like, yeah. And I go, 
Yeah, but my grandma just just kind of lied there. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, and my mom like she didn't know what to do. Like she, I saw this look in her face that I've never seen before because she's sitting there like her mom is right there. Yeah, and I know my mom thinks this is fucking hilarious, <laughs> but she doesn't want to laugh because it's <laughs> she doesn't want to be disrespectful. Eventually, she started laughing because she was like, look, if she weren't like basically a vegetable, she would think that was fucking hilarious. You have to tell that to everybody you know. Wow. So, but, and I, I think it's a great joke, but sometimes when you tell that joke to people, they're not ready for it, or if they're not used to kind of what my onstage you know, kind of persona is, which, you know, is, it's not like a super offensive thing, but it's, it's very factual and just kind of looking at how things happen in a unique way. It's also kind of dry. It is also very dry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can be odd. So I, I try not to use that as like an opener. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, because it sets that's a a good way to look mood. at it. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I never even thought about that. I guess your opening joke kind of has a lot of importance. Well, here, I would love to just break down more comedy because I honestly yeah. like am an admirer of comedy. Okay. I, I love Joe Rogan. I watch all types of stand-ups, but that's about as far as my knowledge goes and my investment into it at all. Okay. I'd love to know when you started like really committing to it as a you know a career and also when you started maybe like studying it or whatever yeah so i started studying comedy probably well i actually the first time i did any kind of comedy whatsoever was i was 14 and my mom signed me up for like this stand-up comedy class that was just like once a week at the jewish center in santa barbara are you jewish i'm not jewish okay i'm not totally sure why or how that happened but it'd be like that it was awesome yeah it'd be like we that. have like the jcc it's like that was, a- i think that was the slogan actually at the jewish center it, the jewish center it'd be like that and we just walk in <laughs> they, had, they had it be like that written in hebrew and like an archway <laughs> um that's pretty interesting so how did that go anyway well so it was it was like a once a week thing there was like a teacher and there was like it was like me and my little brother <laughs> like three or four of the kids and uh we'd sit there and just try to come up with jokes and so and we weren't really writing jokes like the the teacher who's like an accomplished comedian um um who i should get in touch with actually anyway um it's a good revelation yeah we're finding things out today um, she would kind of we would kind of think of semi-funny ideas and she would kind of make them into jokes for us because i was 14 i was one of the older kids and we had like a show at the end of the year and I went up and I totally forgot like all my jokes mm. because I just hadn't made an effort to memorize them because I didn't really write them. You know what I mean? You're also 14. I mean, I'm also 14, yeah, so my yeah. memory wasn't really that great for that kind of stuff. But mm. at the same time, I've been playing with bands and remembering those lyrics and stuff. Even at 14? Even at 14, oh, yeah. Okay. I've been playing and singing in bands and stuff. Um but for me, it was it was very nerve-wracking the first time because when you're on stage playing a guitar, even if you're singing, you can still kind of hide behind the guitar mm. and you can look down at the guitar. And there's a bass player and a drummer and there's probably another guitarist that you, like if you fuck up, at least they're probably doing fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they also take like a little bit of attention from you. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. yeah. But that can be good if you're... That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, so... Yeah, being up there when it's just you and a microphone, and that's literally it. That was totally crazy for me. And, and I, after that, I was like, I'm not going back. I don't want to mm. do this. I don't know why, but I just wasn't into it. Over the next few years, though, I started getting really into stand-up comedy. And, and I started discovering, you know, like George Carlin. I got really big into, it was like Carlin and, and Richard Pryor are pretty much like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. of stand-up comedy. 
And so I got big into those guys. Um, and that kind of trickled down to where I get into guys like like Bill Hicks. I don't know if you've heard of Bill Hicks. No. Not a lot of people in our generation have. Bill Hicks is very... Um, I've heard of him from Joe Rogan. That's it. Okay. Yeah, Joe Rogan seems like a big Bill Hicks guy. Mm-hmm. Bill Hicks is very... like He talked about conspiracy theories. People think... You know Alex Jones? Yeah, yeah. People think Alex Jones... There's like a whole conspiracy actually about that Alex Jones is Bill Hicks living in disguise. Okay. Because Bill Hicks died of, like I think, pancreatic cancer okay. in the 90s. That's a very interesting conspiracy to make. Yeah. Um, but I could see it. Alex Jones is a nut job. Yeah. So I, I got really into guys like Bill Hicks and Norm MacDonald. And, I mean, you know, Louis C.K. is an undeniable influence. Yes. As much as I don't talk about him now, really, I can't deny that I that was a huge thing. I personally, like, out of all the Me Too incidents, find his to be the least, like, really fucking wrong if that makes any sense yeah i i don't disagree with that yeah. i mean i like my position on that because people ask me that a lot they do well they they just kind of go hey it's clear that there's this influence because people will see me on stage and they'll go hey there's like some inflection thing is this what you're kind of trying to emulate yeah and i'll go you know yeah i mean that was a big influence on me when i was growing up and coming into comedy and they'll go well what do you think and i well the first thing i tell people is i don't think it's really my place second of all I don't think that the problem that people have with him, like if I could make an informed guess, I don't think that the problem people still have with him is necessarily what he did. Because, yeah, it happened a long time ago, okay, that doesn't really impact the severity of it. I think it's the way that he's handled it. Did he handle it poorly? I thought he was... I think he's handled it pretty poorly. He okay. never really came out and apologized. Yeah, I kind of know that. And, I mean, he, he copped to it pretty quick. But he never came out and like he said, okay, I'm gonna, you know, take some time to kind of sit back and listen. And then less than a year later, he was like, all right, so I have shows in Milwaukee and Chicago and, you know, Cleveland or whatever. You wish he was a little more like apologetic? Yeah. I mean, I think for his sake, it would be nice. I think that would have been what he could have done better. Sure. Because, you know, like what he could have not done that thing in that was bad in the past and then continue to do it. But once you've done that, there's nothing you can do about the fact that you did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so, in my opinion, that's probably why he took the road of like, okay, I already did that. And like, well, I just don't think that, I don't know. I think another big problem is that so much of what he was doing that was wrong was kind of caught in his stand up because of all the jokes that he'd make about jerking off. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what I mean? So, I think people yeah. were sitting there going, fuck, is that where this came from? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we've all been sitting here listening to your shit, dude, going, that's brilliant. Why has nobody else thought of this? This is fucking amazing comedy. And granted, he's funny about a lot of other things than jerking off. Yeah, yeah. But still, <laughs> it's like shit, man, because a lot of funny bits that people remember of his are about that. I didn't even think about that. So he kind of altered his legacy. Oh, completely. big time. Yeah, yeah. Because now that's what that's about. It'd be like if Bill Cosby had been making rape jokes. Right. Which, I mean, you know, Bill Cosby was like the whole wholesome dad. Yeah. I don't know if that makes it worse. That Bill Cosby's like been this wholesome character, and now we find out what he was been doing. That's interesting. Or, or if it would have been worse, had he been making like you know, if he was like Anthony Jeselnik type of like. Super That's interesting. You know I don't what I mean? know. Yeah, yeah. That's very thought provoking. I don't actually know which would be worse. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll never. It's it's still horrible. That but, shit is really crazy. The Bill Cosby stuff. Yeah. When Joe Rogan talks about it, to quote him again, wait, he has people on, and they always be like. The girls afterward must have just been so confused. Like, yeah, right. You really think this is like America's sweetheart? Like, this is your dad? Like, he would never do anything to hurt anybody? And then you just wake up in the morning, like, 
Wait, what? Dude, seriously. It's got to be the trippiest thing. It's like thing. getting stabbed by Elmo, dude. It doesn't wow, make any yeah, sense. Wow, yeah, it's just like It that. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes. So, leading back, yeah, yeah. Uh, George Carlin inspiration, Louis C.K., you started yeah. studying. Where did that take you? Right, so that took me, when I first came down here, when I was 18, um, I started... Did you move for school? Writing, yeah, I moved for school. And I, I started writing jokes all the time. And none of them were very good. I mean, I hadn't really learned how to write a joke. I mean, I, I was kind of teaching myself just based on what I had heard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the jokes that I made were kind of elementary in that they weren't so much where kind of my, my, sty my current style that it's evolved to right now is to be observational and to try to find funny things that exist in the world that everybody knows about and that anybody theoretically could make a joke about. But maybe I'm like the first one to kind of put that together and make it funny. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was more just kind of, hey, this funny thing happened to me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and so I understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, you and, have to create perspective. And a, and a lot of people do that, and, and which can be funny if you like, there are a lot of storytelling comics that offer a lot of insight. Exactly. But if you don't offer any insight, like just because like a homeless man, you know, took a shit on the sidewalk while you were eating a pizza, <laughs> that doesn't make you a good comic just because you saw that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that'd be yeah. the one thing I could impart, I think, to people <laughs> is at least give us something. Yeah. Other than that, like, oh, that, I mean, I guess that's crazy, but we're not having a conversation. This is supposed to be a performance. Mm. Even mm. if you're doing crowd work, that it's just, where did that come from? Yes. So, yeah, so I started writing a lot of those jokes, and I did a couple of shows at, like, people's parties because... When you're not really in with the kind of comedian crowd, granted, I've just shown up, like I'm not involved in the comedy kind of community mm. here at all. But I had a friend that had a radio show who was like, hey, I know this guy who's doing a party. There are going to be some bands. He's trying to find a comic. Do you want to do like a couple five-minute sets? And I was like, fuck, I mean, why not? Mm -hmm. And so it turns out that when people are waiting for like their favorite musical artist and they're all standing and they've been drinking and doing drugs all night, they don't really want to see a comic. At least the one they don't know. At least, especially not one they yeah, don't know. Yeah. If it's like their friend that they all were like, oh, and that guy's going to be there too. He's going to do five minutes before this person comes on. Was that Great. your first show back after the incident? Yeah, that was the first oh, one. Oh, dude. And so, and so, well, no, but here's the thing. So yeah. I did the first five-minute set, and I thought I fucking killed it. It was amazing. <laughs> but by the time they called me back up for the second five-minute set... Like everybody's just waiting for like the headliner. Yeah. Granted, it's like a house party. It's in somebody's backyard, but they they had actually paid to book like a, a pretty good artist. Okay. That everybody was there to see, and they're like, "All right, that person's coming up." But now here's the comic. I did not have nearly the confidence to stick it out, and so I did like a couple minutes. My first jokes just kind of bombed. Like they totally fell flat. Mm. And at that point, I just kind of brought the MC back up. So then after that, <laughs> smart move. I feel like right. I yeah. mean, it was good. After that, I fell out of it for a little while because, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I was just doing drugs. Okay. I was doing drugs the whole time. When So is this, you're 18, you just moved to, would you go to USC? You yeah, yeah. As a freshman? I, I okay. moved down here as a I freshman. I transferred in, okay. Well, so I was a spring admit. Okay, okay. So I went, I lived at Gateway. I did, I went to Santa Monica College. For just one semester? For one semester, and then I started here. But by the time That's I started, really smart. Yeah, by the time I started, I was pretty much like a drug addict. How did you get into drugs? Well, I joined a... Ah, yeah, yeah, that'll happen. We won't say which fraternity. No, nah, don't. That's um, really crazy, but that makes sense. And addiction clearly runs in your family. Oh, big time. Yeah, I think that uh, I think it's good that I kind of figured that out for myself mm -hmm. because I mean, clearly, you know, having a, a father and whole father side of the family that 
has a huge history of addiction wasn't enough for me to not do it. And so having made those mistakes for myself, I think has been a big deal. Oh. And also having done it when it's like, you know, I don't have like a wife and kids or a mortgage that I have to worry about. Definitely. So, I mean, it's really great that you're like out of it, that you can no, look yeah. back on it at all. It's a really like pretty cool thing. Oh, it's huge, yeah, dude. Yeah, and like I'm jacket. still in college even. Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm doing stand-up. So, so I finally fucking get done with all that. And I think it was four months after I, I got off uh, weed. Um, was there any moment that was like a really low point during that phase where you had to like really reconsider some things? Like, maybe I shouldn't be doing all these drugs? Yeah. Was there any, like, one moment that stuck out, or was it just kind of, like, an overall feeling I mean, of, like, oh, I need to be better now. It's time to move forward. Well, yeah, there were a lot of those moments. Like, you know, I had credit cards that got canceled. Like, I, dude, here's the thing. I went on my 18th birthday. I was so, like, fuck, I got to get out ahead of, like, everybody at everything in the whole world. Mm. That was just my mentality. So I was like, okay, I need to like do the personal finance thing. My 18th birthday, I went to Wells Fargo and applied for like the college credit card Mm -hmm. so I could start building credit. Not so I could just like have extra money to spend. It was like, it was just because I want a good credit score. So I went and did that and I had fucking great credit. And then I got, I think by the time I was 19, I had like an American Express card. Oh, wow. I was like, fuck. My credit score is like fucking 770 or something. 19 years old, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, like, you know, I but I'd been taking out cash advances at Chase so I could have cash to fucking pay my Coke dealer. Yeah, yeah. Well, American Express, when you don't then pay for that, they'll go, what the fuck are you doing? No more credit card. They just took it they off? Took it off? They took it away. Did it destroy your credit score? Oh, absolutely. Oh, unlucky. Oh, my God. It was terrible. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, like, I'm going to be fighting to, I mean, I'm still fighting. Anyway. My mom um, cranked, uh, tanked her credit score, yeah. and it's been something that's been like really a part of my upbringing. Like, you need to treat this very carefully, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the thing. I mean, but my point is, thank God I that that happened when I was nineteen. Yes, because if that had happened when I was forty, it would have taken so much longer. Mm. I mean, it's still a process that I'm trying, kind of trying to work my way back mm. with, you know, Experian and all them folks. Yeah, the credit bureaus. <laughs> I like, sort of know. Yeah. TransUnion and what's the other one? Equifax. Free those are shout the, outs for them. Those are the free credit bureaus. Yeah, shout out FICO. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so there was that. I remember there was one time that we had a party and um, and I had bought just an insane amount of, of blow for myself. Mm. Were you ever selling? No. Oh, Okay. No, and I was strictly consumer. I think that if I had ever sold it, I probably would have overdosed because having that large a quantity, I would have done all of it. Okay. Um, probably a good thing you didn't then. <laughs> Thank fucking God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got, I just, it was a ridiculous amount of Coke. And, um, and, I, and the guy I bought it from, like, brought it to me like two nights, I think, before this party. And by the next morning, it, I was, it was all gone. Mm. I did all of it. Mm. And now I'm sitting there, it's like, you know, 11 a.m. the next day, and I'm out. I haven't slept. Damn. I haven't really been doing anything. I've just been kind of walking around, driving around. Fucking terrible. And so, yeah, that was a big moment. That was the last time that I did it. There it is. After that, I was like, no fucking way. September 20th, 2017. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's almost been two and a half years. That is really amazing. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've never even had the temptation to do it again. That's even the Not best part. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so so if only I could 
tell TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian that story, maybe they would. I live by the cliche that I pushed me a little bit, but if I tried Coke, I would be worried that I would love it that much, you know. So yeah, I I tried it once as a younger lad, and I was like, meh, it's mid. Yeah, it was probably not great either, and that was probably a lucky thing. Like if I had done some really great shit, I probably would have been like, oh, this is fun. (laughs) No, dude, listen to how fucking stupid this is. So I I had that same experience. I did it the first time, and I was like, this isn't. Yeah. But then I was like, well, but everybody does it. It's got to be better. I'll just keep doing it until it gets good. <laughs> no. But that's the thing is it doesn't get better. You just need it more. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> so it's just, it changes the perception. It's fucking unreal, man. Right. All right. Oh, we'll fast God. forward. We'll get out of that. Part. All right. So, okay. So I've been off. At, so at a certain point, I've been off Coke for almost a year. And I've been, I quit pot. I call it pot because I don't, I just, I don't like it. <laughs> my mom calls it pot too. Yeah, my so mom I, calls it pot. That's where I got it from. <laughs> I know nobody in our generation calls it that, but I like calling it. I think it's funny. <laughs> Me too. And so I was, I've been off pot for like three or four months and they have stand-up classes at USC, right? Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, I've been at home. This is after my sophomore year. I've been at home in Santa Barbara just working my ass off because I had all this fucking credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Got like sent to collections. I have to pay off. I paid off all that shit in one summer. Wow. It's incredible. Um, and all I want to do is just stand up. I feel like I've been meaning to do this since I was like 14. Mm-hmm. And all I want to do is get into it. But I couldn't fucking get myself to like sit down and write. And they have stand-up comedy classes at USC like that are once a week. And I was like, this is what I need to do. This will get me back into writing. And this will, like, not only that, I can meet other comics here and get involved with that. Sure enough, I show up my first day and I'm like, fuck, I love this. Because there weren't... There weren't a lot of other kids that had done any kind of stand-up before. So it also gave me this huge ego boost of like, I'm by far the most experienced and I've only been on stage to do this like two or three times. Mm. But I'm writing jokes all the time and I'm developing shit and I'm meeting new people. And then the next spring, this would have been last spring actually, so like a year ago, I took another class and by that point, I'm getting, I'm starting to get booked on shows. Wow. Um, you know, people are asking me, you know, do you want to be a part of this? So now it's gotten to the point where, you know, obviously writing is the biggest thing. And I have a lot of kind of self-promotion that I think is the biggest area where I'm lacking. Um, but I'm getting booked at stuff. I'm actually running. There's a an open mic here at USC oh, yeah? that I run with a couple of my friends Oh, where people can go. It's every Thursday night. Um, it's called Us Comedians. Yeah. It's funny. People come to watch. That's the thing is. In the city, in like LA, like the actual open mics, I call them actual open mics because there's a college open mic. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. The actual open mics, nobody shows up to watch. There'll be nine five-minute slots in like an hour. They'll have like a four o'clock mic, five o'clock mic every time until like 10 Mm o'clock, five days a week. Some of them have them seven days a week. And they'll have nine five-minute slots per hour and you show up and there's only nine chairs. And you go up Hmm. and nobody really laughs and because all the other eight, it's mostly eight other dudes. Sometimes mm-hmm. there'll be like one woman. Sometimes I think the most I've ever seen out of nine, there were three women. And I was like, whoa. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, it's always been a male-dominated. No, 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 no I, I believe that. But why yeah. do you think only nine people come? Why do you think nobody wants to come watch open mics? Oh, because, well, it's just not a very welcome environment. I mean, most of the time when you're on stage, everybody's either thinking about the joke they just did or worried about what jokes they're going to do. Because open mics aren't a place for you to go up and, and do your good shit. Open mics aren't a place for you to like go up. I mean, if you're really rusty or you're trying to practice old jokes that you know are good, sometimes it can be, it would make for like a good 
show or good performance. Mostly open mics, you go up to see if the joke you just wrote is any good. Okay. Like the joke I wrote earlier, you know, if you don't have a roommate or somebody to call, or maybe you do, but you just want to practice it, you kind of go up and try to get a feel for the delivery. Okay. So people always are like, oh, I'll come to the open mics. The one here would be a good one to come watch because it's fun. I mean, you know, but but open mics, it's not supposed to be like a show. Okay. It's not supposed to be funny the whole time. Okay. You're lucky if it's funny a third of the time. It's like a practice session? Yeah. But the one that we have here, a lot of people do just come and watch. So it kind of turns on itself. It's fun. Do you want to pursue like promoting and throwing shows at all? Like in the future? I mean, maybe. It, it kind of depends. I, I have a couple good friends that that put on shows. And I think that's a really great thing because you also get, what people don't realize, you also kind of get this leverage of like, oh, well, I'll put you on my show if I can be on mm. your show. So once mm. you kind of get enough clout with the show that you're running, you can get bigger comics on your show, which then gets you on bigger comics shows. That makes sense. And then it just keeps going. But clearly I can tell that you're more interested in, you know, like performing the jokes. Like you just even said, like I would only yeah. do it if it would help like my show performing. Well, um, I mean, not necessarily. It would be awesome to do, but that is definitely a benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're more interested in the performing. Yeah, I mean, that's probably my biggest yeah, definitely. interest at this point. Yeah, I, I, I just tell. fucking love that shit. Um, I've been hearing a lot of these comedy and stand-up classes popping up in colleges. And I find it very interesting because... I find it similar to music in the, or at least the music industry in that it's very experience based. There's only so much knowledge you can really bestow to someone on an entertainment industry. I feel like, uh, in a classroom, um, sounds like you had a really amazing experience because of the network you were able to build and some of the, you know, small things that you learned, which is great. Do you think that those classes, cause I've been hearing some people be like, Oh, I think it's ridiculous that those classes even exist. How can you teach comedy? You either have it or you don't. Um, do you believe that? And then do you think that the value in the classes comes more from what you learn about comedy or more about like the people you meet and stuff like that? Well, I think that, I mean, I think definitely the value is very multifaceted. Mm -hmm. And for me, the biggest thing that I got out of it was basically getting a fire lit under my ass to write jokes. I definitely think that there is truth to the element of, you know, you can't teach comedy or you can't teach stand-up comedy or you can't teach people how to be funny i definitely think there's some truth to that mm -hmm. but at the same time i know that a lot of people that are in those classes aren't taking it because they want to learn how to be funny or because they want to like learn how to be a professional stand-up comedian for the rest of their lives and make a living doing that for me i mean sure i have those kinds of aspirations but for me i i wasn't taking that class like i want to learn how to write a joke i was taking that class because i want to have this motivation all the time to write. I want to meet people that are like-minded and it would be cool to have some insight into how some of this stuff works. Mm. So yeah, I think there's some truth to it. I think that, you know, you hear that kind of thing about, you know, you can't teach comedy. You, you hear that a lot from people that are kind of self-taught and take a lot of pride in that, which I totally understand. But at the same time, I, I think for me, why wouldn't you want to soak up as much information as you can? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even if it's even if it's bad information, even if it's somebody telling you, "Oh, hey, here's how you could make this joke funnier," even if it wouldn't make that joke funnier, maybe that gives you a new sense of perspective for how you write jokes. I'm all for building, you know what creating I mean? new perspectives. Yeah, yeah. So, like, unless there's something you could be doing better with your time, comedy-wise, as opposed to taking this class, I mean, maybe. But I, for me, it was like, why the hell not? Mm -hmm. I'm already paying a million fucking dollars. Mm -hmm. Like, by the time I pay off my student loans, it's gonna be a million dollars. Mm. 
So mm, I yeah. might as well. I might as well take whatever fucking class. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um. So then you started doing some gigging, mostly from the connections that you're building here. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. The first few shows I did were like we did one at um, Tommy's place on campus. Mm-hmm. I think actually that might have been the first show I ever got booked on. That was for the dance marathon, which would have been March of last year. It's just like a thing they do for charity. It's like a 24-hour dance. <laughs> People are always dancing, and you know, and you they, just tell jokes behind. They them. run out of musical <laughs> performers, so they just book comics. That's pretty funny. And they go, all right, four comics get five minutes. And I remember I did that show with like I think three or four comics that were like older than me. And it wasn't like a it wasn't a comedy show, and it wasn't necessarily a great experience. But I remember doing that and going, like I got booked with the with this person, this person, and this person. Like I'm fucking all right. This is pretty good. That's awesome. So yeah, and then it kind of goes from there. Um, you know, you start meeting other comics, and they'll kind of invite you to play on their show, or you know, I mean, there, there's a certain element of reaching out to people and submitting like tapes and stuff like that that people try to use which has worked for me sometimes mm. a lot of times when you do that it's not a great show um but what do you wait good for how is it not a great wait what do you mean well so a lot of times you know, like there'll be people there's like facebook groups and stuff where you can kind of reach out to people that are putting on shows and kind of say hey here's a tape of me doing seven minutes at this place you know just consider it basically um here are my socials this is my phone number. I see. And so, and sometimes you hear back from those people. I mean, rarely. But sometimes you hear back from those people, and um, and that can be a way to get booked, too. Do you think YouTube has helped the comedy scene or hurt the comedy scene? I think YouTube has definitely helped the comedy scene. I mean, do you mean since, like, like 2005 when YouTube started? Mm-hmm. It definitely helped. Because now there's, like, this, you know, you don't have to go around, okay, can you email me this huge video? Nowadays, you can just say, here's the link. I see. You know what I mean? And also, I mean, it's it's pumping money into the kind of comedy economy. Definitely because that. Because there are people that are posting stand-up online. They're getting, like, monetized videos. There are people that are doing all kinds, whether it's sketch comedy or just funny videos and shit like that. Do you think... Okay, I agree 100%, because, like, there's these, like, two or three guys that are on SNL now that started mm-hmm. off just doing, like, YouTube skits back in the day, and they're huge. Oh, yeah. But I worry, or I wonder, do you think there's a possibility for people to get stuck in the YouTube box? So, like, an example I could give is people like Logan Paul, who wants to be an entertainer in as many categories or fields as he can be, but because he's a YouTuber, he's stuck in that box. So I, the question I have is, like, do you think there are people or there's a way for people to get stuck being a YouTube comic, you know, like you're only funny when you do a few sets online and you're not really worth coming out to see. Well, I think that's tough because I think it all depends because, you know, like there's a certain element of if, if all your videos are just like super fast edited shit, that's funny that way. It might not translate to like a live performance. But I think that if you saw a YouTube clip of somebody doing stand-up and it was funny, there's no reason to me that they wouldn't be funny in person. That makes sense. And, and I also think that, I mean, I would say that, you know, if if you do something in a different kind of medium, if it's good and you have that name recognition behind you, there's no reason why it shouldn't be yeah. attractive in that different kind of way. That makes sense. I'm not totally familiar with Logan Paul, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't he fight somebody? KSI. 
Okay. I love KSI. Yeah, yeah. Did that? Wasn't that like Staples or something? Yeah, it was huge. Well, that was the second time they did it. They did it. Oh once. yeah, okay. I remember reading about it. In the yeah, two. they did it once. They fought in the UK. It was hugely successful, and then they tied, quote unquote. People can't see me doing the quote unquote. And then uh, they did another one in LA, and then Logan Paul right. lost. Okay. Um, so, but are both they, of not, them are they fighters? They're not fighters, are they? No, they're amateur boxers. Well, now okay. they're professional boxers because that was a professional fight with like a professional referee and professional judges and all that shit. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting fad that they started. Like lots of YouTubers are doing this now. Uh, it's Fighting? been happening for a few years. Boxing at the oh, least, because wow. it's you know boxing's. It's different. It's different, yeah. Like you can't, you can't really kill somebody exactly as an amateur. If you really want to beat the shit out of somebody, you have to be a, committed to boxing for a very long time. Yeah, if you're about the same size, you can't really. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you could. But bro, they both gained millions of subscribers from these oh, sure. years of publicity. They're both at 20 million subscribers now. Yeah, it's insane. No, that's crazy. I mean, and I think that's kind of that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, they're doing it. It's in person and it's live, but. It really, I think, is only going to translate back into more success, kind of with YouTube. Exactly. That exactly because it's not like like the, the amateur boxing is not something that is like a huge industry entertainment wise. I agree. You know what I mean? Because there's not a lot of consistency with it. When you're a boxer, you don't fight every week like you would upload a YouTube video every week. You yeah, know? you could do that shit every day. Exactly. It's yeah. way different. Um, so you mentioned a couple negative gigs you had at 14 and at 18. Could you please shine some light on some positive gigs you had, some really momentous moments where you realized like, oh, I'm meant to be doing this. Like, this is yeah. for me. Yeah, there were a couple of shows. So I, I, maybe about a year ago, nine months to a year ago, I got involved with a monthly show at the Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica, which is it's just a monthly stand-up show, and it's pretty much all like either current USC students or like very recent USC alumni. Oh, really cool! Oh, it's awesome, and it's a huge opportunity. Trojan so, Network, baby! Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and the first time I did that show, I was like one of the youngest kids kind of on the show. They were all like, this would have been last year, so they were like a bunch of seniors, and I was like, these guys are fucking sick, or it's like. You know, people that graduated that I've never even met, but I got like I'm dying to make a good impression. And I went up there and they put me like midway toward the end, which in a comedy show you want to be last generally. That makes sense. Same with yeah. music, unless it's I mean, unless it's some weird setup, you generally want to be toward the end. And so I went and did that, and uh, and I actually got in like some crowd work. I can't really remember what it was, but I know I remember it was it fucking killed, and it's the first time I've done any crowd work at this show. And Describe the concept of crowd work to me. Okay, so crowd work is like, well, basically crowd work is kind of anything that involves the audience. Okay. There's a guy named Todd Berry who did a whole tour that was all crowd work. He had no jokes. Mm. And he went out, he would just get out there and kind of be like, so, sir, how are you? And that was his, and then he would make jokes about it, which is fucking brilliant and wow. so hard. Yeah. But crowd work can be anything from like, you're sitting there talking and you would need an example and you go, hey, lady, what about, what's your thing? That's crowd, and then you know they'll say something, and then you try to make a joke about it, or you can kind of have a conversation and try to point out you know the absurdity of what they're saying or whatever. Sure. Okay. Um, so I, I had done a little bit of that and kind of related it back into the bit that I was doing, and when I got off stage, like all these people that I've kind of been looking up to in you know advance of this show are like, "Fuck, that was awesome! You fucking killed it!" And so they're going, "This is amazing! I want to do this every fucking night." So. You know, when stuff like that happens, it's like I go home and I just, I'll try to write jokes for like two or three hours because I'm riding the high so much. Usually those jokes, by the way, are shit mm-hmm. because there's... What just, percentage of jokes actually make it? I feel like you must write so many more than you can actually like oh successfully use. 
I would say maybe 20% of jokes I write, I even test. Exactly, yeah. Like, it's crazy. And so it's probably between 1% and 5%. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. That I'll ever actually do at a show. Sure, sure. And then much, much less than that that like I keep. Okay. It's a really narrow down process. It is, but but the more that you put effort in it, like, and there are a lot of people that go, okay, well, if I just write more jokes, but then usually the excess jokes that they write are, are bad too. So you got to really put a fucking ton of effort into writing this shit. Do you write on a computer or on a notepad? I usually write on a notepad. Oh. Um, but sometimes, I mean, a computer is way easier to get your thoughts down. Yes, but a notepad is more fluid. I was going to ask, like, why, why do you think you like the notepad? Because I feel like you can, like, jump around a notepad a lot easier than you can jump around a Word document. That's true. You can, yeah, yeah you can draw fucking arrows and exactly. stuff. Yeah, I do do a lot of that. I would say that's, I guess that's probably why. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Plus, it just feels more genuine. I mean, again, my style of comedy is that I try, to, you know, it's very observational. And I try to, to get it to where I'm talking about this thing that everybody knows about, but when I talk about it, it's funny, basically. And so in doing that, I don't want to be staring at a computer because like, I get a text from my friend or like, you know, some shit about the Dodgers comes up. Mm-hmm. And then like, I'll get distracted. I want to kind of be sitting there going, okay, what are things that I know in my brain? If that makes sense. That makes lots of sense. Or I will just do research and then try to write bits about that. That makes because, lots of sense. Because, yeah, unless like... Usually, unless you have to explain like a historical fact, that stuff is there's there's so much material there, just in things that have happened in history or with politics, you know. And and you can make political jokes without getting political. I think that's something that people don't really see. Is that like I made I have a whole bit about like women getting the right to vote <laughs> and how you know it's like the Nineteenth Amendment. <laughs> Basically, the like the premise of the joke is. You know, it seems like 19 was probably too many amendments <laughs> for us. We, like, we probably should have gotten around to that earlier. Yeah. And that's like, it's not like a partisan joke. I'm not shitting on any one group of people. Yeah. But you can totally fuck up like the history of America in a certain way by saying, what the fuck is wrong with these guys? Like, and part of the joke too, I mean, I, I'm trying to not totally just go into a bit here, mm. but part of the joke is like the 18th amendment was prohibition. So like it was no more alcohol than people and then when we got to vote. <laughs> So is it like, like, did everybody get sober? So <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I like this bit. So you just fucking tear them a new one, but everybody's on board with it because I'm not going, oh, well, the Democrats or the Republicans. Makes it easier. Have you ever had an opportunity to work alongside someone or like have a conversation with a comedian that you admired that really impacted like your set or anything, impacted the way you look at things? I've, there are some comedians that, that I've had opportunities to talk to kind of after shows. I mean, a lot of the guys that... I get the chance to talk to are like my peers. Okay. Um, and a lot of the guys that are like bigger names that I've performed on shows with, like I, I, did, I performed on a show with, with Preacher Lawson. Um, I don't think I even met him at that show because he showed up basically like after I went on because there were just a ton of comics and I did like a five-minute set. And I, I performed on a show with, um, with Steve Hofstetter, if you know Steve Hofstetter, I Jamie do Kennedy. Do not. But I, I wasn't really like, I didn't really do a show with those guys so much as I was kind of on the bill and then they went on after, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So not really. Like that's something that I, I've been meaning to do, but I'm not totally sure how hard I should try to do that, if that makes sense. Well, have you learned anything from your peers? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, I learned everything from my peers. I mean, I love watching stand-up. And so like the, the best thing for me right now is like stand-up that's right at about my level. Because you can only learn so much from yourself. 
You know what I mean? Yes. It, like it's hard to kind of edit your own paper. You know what I mean? But but when you're watching like like my best comic friend, he'll go up and I know exactly what like mistake he made. I know exactly why that thing that he did fucking killed. And then it's a matter of like, okay, well, you know, I want to tell him that. But also I can take it as knowledge for myself of like see. this fucking works. And I hadn't even thought of that. And I don't know if he was even aware of it, but he did, and it was amazing. This is not great, you know, whatever. Mm. So, yeah, I learn shit from them all the time. That They're like, here's the thing, is comedy, it's not like there's like four different jokes you can make, and everything is a subset of that. There's an infinite number of ways to be funny. Yeah. And as much as, you know, with like recorded kind of media, like with YouTube, right? can find more ways to be funny because there's editing and shit you can do. With stand-up, there's still a million fucking ways to make people laugh. And and delivery is like the biggest thing. But so, yeah, no, I, I try to learn as much as I can. from. What do you think? You say delivery is the biggest thing. What do you think is like one of the smallest, most looked-over things that's crucial to a stand-up set or crucial to a sense of comedy? Oof. That's tough. I think there are a lot. I mean, there's shit that people don't even realize that I'll sit there and go, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm sure that there's, there are things that people look at my set and they go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> They've been kind enough or mean enough to not tell me. Mm. I don't know. But I think like distracting the audience from what you're talking about is probably the most overlooked thing. Because there are people, you know, like it's not a wireless mic. You're walking around with a microphone with a cable. Mm. And there'll be people that are standing there spinning the cable or like, you know, Throwing the cable that making like a Loch Ness monster out of the cable. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there going, dude, all I can pay attention to is the cable. Granted, I'm not a very visual person, even a little bit. Sure. Like, Easter was my least favorite holiday because I'm like, what? I can't fucking find it. They're like, it's right in front of you. That's really interesting, though. It's, it's strange. I'm a very auditory. But it's like, if, if that's all I notice, you know what I mean? What's everybody else looking at? Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I see even professors doing that. It's like yeah. when you're lecturing, you're like, pacing in the wrong like the wrong direction or like moving a lot of things around it's like i'm not even you go to grab your drink and then you walk around with your drink i'm like why'd you grab your drink i'm not paying yeah. attention to what you're saying well no it, and it's like i think a lot of times it's a nerves thing for me that's that hasn't been a problem because i like i've been on stage so much beforehand so i walk around but it's not in like a nervous way or i'm not really ever looking down mm -hmm. i'll walk around and just kind of change my position like hey now i'm talking to these people i'm still looking at the people over in the other place where i was standing before and I'm not even like looking at their foreheads. Like I'm looking at these people directly in the face because I want to <laughs> see that they're laughing. Yeah, yeah. But like I'll move around kind of a healthy amount because it'd be weird if you stood in one place. And I mean, you know, there's some guys. Definitely got to do that. Yeah. There's some guys like you know Norm Macdonald do it a lot, where he'll just leave the mic on the stand. He'll just stand there and talk into it, okay. and that's part of his stock because he's very, very dry, and okay. very like relaxed, laid back, kind of style of comedy. But yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. Don't give the audience any reason to not pay attention to what you're saying. This shit's hard enough as it is. Mm. You don't want to have them sitting there be like, what the fuck is he doing that's that? I have no idea what he just said. I agree. So, You were saying that you talk a lot to your peers. You learned a lot from your peers. Do you think that comedy, maybe in LA especially, is very community-based? Or do you think that there's still this level of only so many of us can really make it? I, I know that that's not exactly the case anymore, um, but there's definitely two sides to this coin, I feel like. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've heard things from people that have been part of the comedy scene in New York mm. that that have told me that kind of in New York, it's way more of a community. Whereas in LA, it's kind of this dog-eat-dog. -dog. Why do you think that is? 
I honestly have no fucking idea. That's really interesting. And I don't, I don't have the perspective to know how or why it's different. Cause I've never been, I've never been to New York, much less been a part of their comedy scene over there. Um, but, and so I can kind of recognize how sometimes there's a little bit of that competitiveness, but I try my best to not project any of that, which is by the way, really fucking hard because like your best friend will get booked at like the comedy store. And as much as you fucking love that guy and he's doing amazing things and you're so happy for him, you're sitting there like, fuck, mm. why didn't I, like, what do I have to do? He's better than me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. like the jealousy and the competitiveness is such a hard thing to overcome. I think it spans across all entertainment industries. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, mm. it totally makes sense. Mm. That, but it shows a certain level of kind of community to be able to overcome that. Definitely. Especially because that's not something that the other person is feeling. Like, if I book the store, I'm not sitting there going, sorry, dude, I'm sure this is really hard for you. I'm sitting there going, I fucking booked the store, dude. I'm hilarious. I see. Yeah, Look yeah. at me. I'm amazing. <laughs> Tell everybody you know how fucking funny I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just something that you kind of have to deal with in your own person. And for me, I was able to overcome that pretty quickly because I have a really good friend that got booked on a show at the comedy store pretty early on. I'm sitting there going, shit. And it was like, it was fucking hard for me, dude. Yeah, of course. And after a few days of that, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? This, like, I wouldn't want him to be doing this if that were me. And I know that, like, he, I think he deserves it. He's fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. And I, I want the best for him no matter what. You know what I mean? It's even so. worse when you think you're funnier than that person. Because I find, like, in our music classes, there's a lot of people that I would not anticipate to be achieving any type of success, yeah. uh, whether it be, like, in the creative field or in the business field. And they are. And I kind of be like, I feel like I should be doing better. But as you're saying, you need to practice that sense of, like, you, you know, just bring yourself to earth. Like, that's their life. They got lucky or they did what they needed to do. They earned it. And, right. like, instead of eating myself up about it i should instead be like okay what could i do better to get myself there because 100 percent, i fit in there yeah and and such a big part of it too i mean especially in comedy and i'm sure in music too but especially in comedy because it's such a solo thing mm. is who do you know and there are some times that that doing a great set at an awesome show at a great venue in a packed house is worth just as much for you like career-wise mm. as getting introduced to somebody else backstage. I completely agree. Regardless of how well you did. Like, you got some laughs. To extend that line, I've heard past, like, who do you know into who knows you and who wants to work with you. Big time. That's, like, really how it is. I forget who said that to me. Big time, yeah. Do you think Netflix has been a good tool for comedy? Oh, 100%. There are so many comics that I've never heard of, that a lot of people have never heard of, that are so fucking funny that are getting specials all the time. Hella and, specials. And they should be getting specials. The, they have like the Netflix is a joke. That's like the yeah yeah yeah. I really like that. Well, aren't they doing like a festival or something? I was just about to ask you, what do you think of that? Well, I haven't really looked into it that much. I can tell you about it. Yeah, it's a seven day long festival oh, fuck. with over a hundred comics spanning across twenty plus venues, and they're like grouping a couple people together. There's like an all gay one, and then like an all women's one, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and then the one that they're ending it with on the very last day of it all is like honoring the greats. So it's like honoring George Carlin and Robin Williams and all these other people. And that one has like um, Letterman, Chris Rock, uh, Seinfeld, Wanda Sykes, like all these crazy people are coming to that one. Um, That's amazing. And then the two headlining ones that they're putting on top is like Dave Chappelle at the Hollywood Bowl and Amy Schumer at the Palladium. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, that's amazing. I mean, how can yeah. anybody not like that? 
I think it's insane. More, However, yeah. they sold all the tickets individually. How do you mean? So there's no pass to go see all these comedy shows. Oh, they're all for each show. Yes. Oh, fuck. My Dave Chappelle tickets alone were $120. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. It's Dave Chappelle, though. I Exactly. I had no yeah. problem paying that because I was like, it? this like, is Dave Chappelle Dave at the Hollywood Bowl. Chappelle. Yeah. Uh, that's insane, though. No, that's a great idea. The more, con- dude, the more, here's the thing. I think that the reason that Netflix and YouTube have been so great is because back in the day, the kind of periphery of comics that kind of there is now that aren't necessarily the Chappelle's or the Kevin Hart's or the Amy Schumer's, nobody knew anything about them. And if they came to your town, you might go see them, but you probably wouldn't go see them because of the name recognition. You just go see them because you like comedy. And it was probably a cheaper show. And it was probably a cheaper show. And Mm -hmm. if you, you you thought they were any good, you'd remember them in case they came around again. But now it's not just like the best, you know, 10 or 15 people that everybody's heard of or whatever. There's fucking, I mean, there's hundreds of comics that can get paying audiences in cities that aren't their hometown with audiences that aren't just like their friends or their one relative that lives in that place and every person they know. (laughs) Yeah. Because of these other media, like with YouTube and Netflix, like I, I don't think that back in the day people would necessarily know who like the... I hate to use Sebastian Maniscalco, but people might not necessarily know who the Sebastian yeah. Maniscalcos were in the 70s or 80s. He's a guy, he sells out stadiums, right? Fuck yeah. Yeah, he sells out stadiums, but he's so low-key, because oh, I agree. So I feel like key. a lot of people don't know who he is. 100%. Yeah. And so, like, without that kind of way to kind of put him out there and say, oh, by the way, here's this guy. <laughs> he's doing this fucking crazy shit. He's hilarious. But, you know, for whatever reason, he's not necessarily, you know, regarded or, or just the perspective is that he's not kind of in that top thing even though he's doing pretty much the same shit completely the same shit here's that guy and now you have that guy i you see i mean yeah so yeah i think so it's, it's all about you you consider them really great access points to like just introduce fans of comedy to new comics oh absolutely yeah. because i mean and you know and seinfeld is amazing and kevin hart is amazing and all those guys but after a while you're sitting there going okay there's like eight or nine people here meanwhile there's a million other comedians in the whole world hello and if you like, you can get a hundred of those that are good. That's a hundred new personalities and new perspectives and new ways to kind of offer insight about stuff. So yeah, I think it's incredible. I would also say that in terms of what we had mentioned before, how it's like a male dominated and also kind of a white dominated field. Yeah. I would say that YouTube and Netflix have really opened up those niche audiences. Like you see a lot more Asian comics coming up, Indian comics, women comics, um, which is pretty cool. Oh no, a hundred percent. No, because not only that, I mean... That's the thing is that if your audio, if your lineup is like a bunch of white men, mm-hmm. your audience is probably just going to be a bunch of white men. Totally. And so it really doesn't make sense, like in the long run, because as a comedian or as a performer of any kind, you want your audience to be as many people as it can. Like you don't want to narrow down your audience, diversify that shit before you've even gone out there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying like you know be friends with an Asian comic so that some of your <laughs> friends or some of your fans are... But I'm just saying, like, the more that it's an inclusive community, the more that it can be accepted by everybody. And I think that's huge. And I think also the fact that kind of we've gone away from... You know, because comics back in the day would would make fun of shit. And, and a lot of times that is the point with comedy, is to challenge the social norm. Definitely. That's but, my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah. yeah. but and, and also can be to reinforce it. I mean, that's the thing that people don't... A lot of times people overlook... By challenging the social norm, you're kind of establishing the social norm in the first place. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, you can't make a joke about something without there being something there to deviate from, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's kind of 
like social justice warriors. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they are creating the norm of everyone needs to be a social justice warrior, but that's right. like kind of a new concept that didn't really exist before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to, to really purposely try to create a norm. Yeah. Like but you can Apple do it. did it. Yeah. I was going to say, but well, you can do it. <laughs> but that's kind of it. Like, I don't really know who else recently has started like an entire norm. I mean, you know, whatever. I feel like the me too thing. It's like kind of taking over. That's a pretty I mean, big yeah, norm but, now. But I mean, well, that that happens frequently, but I think the norm that is established because of that is just people are generally treating each other with more respect, right? I but whether you were going to say something else. I would whether have said, it's for fear of <laughs> that's what I mean. Getting people me too walking on eggshells. Yes, that's well, the yeah, but call out culture. Okay, is the but norm. that's the thing. Like, if you're getting the people who would need to walk on eggshells to walk on eggshells, and you're succeeding. Does that make sense? Yes, but now people who don't need to walk on eggshells are walking on eggshells. Like, well, then that, me, I mean, like the average person. Well, then that's I mean, either that's a perception issue or, or the way that they kind of perpetuate what the movement is. Mm -hmm. But I think that that I think it's the latter. Really, I think the way that the movement of call out culture is moving is like uh. everyone all the time is afraid to say anything all the time. Professors, I've heard so many college professors say that. I mean, they most of our professors have been teaching for decades, maybe not in the music, but at USC, like yeah. decades of teaching. And they say like right now is the most complicated time to teach because they like literally walk on eggshells about what they talk about and they're nervous about creating like conversation because they don't want the kids to be like, yo, you said this, like you must be this or something. Yeah, that's tough. That is really tough. That's like I, a societal thing we're in right now. I yeah, I don't disagree with that. I do. I think for me as as a comic, I think I get around a lot of that. I think I completely agree, but I also think comedy is one of the most sought out me tooed group of people. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe hand in hand with like actors. Oh yeah, well because okay, well that's the thing, dude. There's no line. I mean, if there were a line in terms of what you can and cannot say on stage as a comic. It certainly has gotten, you know, tighter. There's it's a shorter leash, but it's not like a finite length of leash. It's like one of those. Here's an analogy. Ready? <laughs> I already know. Yeah. You know those <laughs> dog leashes that kind of expand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Imagine that that's the line of what you can and cannot say. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a definite thing. Yes. Right. It's but, elastic. Yeah, it's it's stretchy. But imagine that like 40 years ago, it, it was a way longer leash. Does that make sense? Yes, but it wasn't as elastic. But still, yeah, but still there's a leash, right? Yeah. And so you can be at the fucking total end of that thing and be taking it as far as it can possibly go if you have the delivery and if you have tact in the way that you're doing it. And I mean, dude, there really is a science to some of this shit. For sure. I've, there are jokes where I say things that are kind of offensive that I put so many things in before I even get to that point, just because I know that when I do that, if I give anybody the perception that that I would say that thing or talk about that thing in a fucked up way, there's a chance I run the risk of them booing me off stage. Mm -hmm. But that's a shame at all. There should already be, in my opinion, like a clear feeling that you are a comic and you are on stage so everything you're saying is a joke it doesn't represent the way you really feel you know yeah i guess but when you you know like you know the guy who played kramer michael richards i know of well there was <laughs> actually i was talking with this talking to somebody about this the other day he did a show i can't remember it might have been in like pasadena but he did a show like five or ten years ago i think it was probably closer to ten where he just bombed, and then at the end, there's just this video of him running around the stage just yelling the N-word. Wow. At the top of his lungs. Kramer. Wow. From Seinfeld, like the most lovable guy. The bald guy. 
The ball. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he was kind of balling. Well, not the short bald guy. The guy that oh. always burst through the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Kramer. okay. I never watched Nightfall, but now I know you're okay, talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. I actually think I know the video that you're referring to. Did he, what he happened? Did he have like a breakdown? I think he had a breakdown. Yeah. Unlucky. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's very. It's unlucky that for whatever reason his mindset allowed him to do that. That's what I mean, yeah. Because you got to look at that instance and probably go, okay, well, this guy. There's nothing that the public knows about that would make him seem like he's some kind of racist or white supremacist. Mm. I mean, he's fucking Kramer, for God's sake. Yeah. But at the same time, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, surely you must know (laughs) that that kind of behavior... Excuse me, sir. (laughs) Fortunately, we do not condone that kind of... Yeah. What did I do right? Well, you can't run around stage and say the N-word. Like, it's not... (laughs) Here's the thing. At a certain point, it's not that hard to realize that you're fucking up. Yes. And I, I don't disagree with you about it's comedy, take a joke. Mm. But at the same time, you should definitely know when yes. when they shouldn't take a joke because you're taking the joke too far. Definitely, there's a, a push and pull, I would agree. It's definitely both sides, yes. Responsibility. Like, there are times when there are white comics that have said the N-word on stage to a national audience and it fucking killed. I believe that. They're, I know that for a fact. Oh, okay. Because of the way that they delivered it, because of what their persona is, because of the history of their comedy. Also, because sometimes they'll say it, I think it's for them, it's a personal thing just to see if they can get away with saying it, but they'll say it like when they're quoting somebody else that they saw in their life. Mm. And it's like, fuck. But then you'll see somebody else at like a, a comedy club who will make a vague stereotypical reference and it'll get fucking booed off the stage. Yeah. So it's it's so much on how you deliver it and how much kind of clout you have and what exactly specifically you're talking about. I mean, this, so that's what I'm saying. There's no fine line. Yeah, I like the elastic uh, yeah, leash analogy. analogy. right? That was a good I'm analogy. I'm proud as shit of that analogy. Um, so I think we're going to start <laughs> wrapping it up uh, slowly but surely. Is there any comedy or any bits you've been working on that i know there's no audience here or anything but yeah. a joke that you think people will laugh through the airwaves i mean adam sandler used to record tapes don't, lots of comic comics used to record yeah. tapes no audience i've actually been trying to figure out i found like an old tape recorder that i've been trying to use i don't all right there's a new joke i'm working on and you gotta promise you cut this out if you don't think it's funny if i don't think it's funny because i don't know i mean the, i'm gonna treat this as an open mic which we talked about open mics are not supposed to be funny but we'll uh, see. yeah yeah, yeah. We'll see because i think this joke is good should Based, I grab Wyatt? Should we grab one more audience member? No, I don't see. I don't want to embarrass myself. Here's the thing. <laughs> okay. I don't get nervous when I'm on stage, like talking to 100 people or 200 people. <laughs> yeah. Sitting on a couch with you is fucking so nerve-wracking for me. <laughs> don't be, I'm pretty Basically, open-minded, bro. Th- this is the premise behind the joke. It's like, don't you think it's a crazy fucking coincidence that the, the world's three biggest monotheistic religions all have the exact same holy land? Like, what are the odds? <laughs> Tell me the joke. That out of the whole, like, out of the whole world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, the one place where, like, it all started is the exact same spot. Yeah. Just don't you think that's a crazy fucking coincidence? That's the idea, is that, like, they're all kind of fighting over it. Also, you'd think that with, like, a normal distribution, like, throughout the world, Christianity would have, like, New Zealand. But they all have the same. I, I get the, I get the right, idea of the joke. Is that, my point is that. You'd think they would kind of sit there and go, well, maybe they're not so different. Right, yes, I <laughs> and see. And they okay. would stop fighting for control of this one place because they could all just enjoy it. That's the idea. But but basically, like, my point is that I think the Jews want it so bad, like, the, you know, like the West Bank. Mm. I think the Jews want the West Bank so bad because, like, they've been going around the whole rest of the world taking control of all the other banks. 
Just because of how much they want. I think that's a pretty good joke. This one bank, thank you. Well, and dude, and they keep like they keep naming banks, like they keep almost naming them West Bank. Like they'll go, what do you think we should call this? Um, the Bank of the West. Like they keep saying, like, how fucking close can we get? Like in Santa Barbara, there's Community West Bank. <laughs> they just keep fucking going. So yeah, it's a joke I'm working on. I like that joke a lot, actually. Right, cool. I, I but, stand that joke. But you see what I'm talking about because I could go up there and I could say, oh, but the Jews and the banks. And people go, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Absolutely. But when you make it clever, because nobody sees that coming when I tell that joke. No. Nobody when you were introing it, it I was like, I still don't really get it. And then right? when you hit me, yeah, yeah. And you hit it when you go, oh, it's just like Jews and banks. But also, it's totally true. Mm-hmm. So where I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what to do with that joke because you can kind of dig into the psychology a little bit of like, you know, like if you're like if your parents punished you a lot as a kid, you'd probably be a pretty strict like disciplinarian, you know. Sure. Like with your kids, I mean, there's a possibility, but it's like you know, if you your religion, their whole life they've been trying to get this one bank. <laughs> you go around taking all the other banks, you know. That's what your parents told you to do. I'm working on it. Yeah, I guess so. I'm into it. Anyway, I, I so actually that's how a joke forms. You have a couple really good ideas, and the rest of it is just bullshit. You talk through the bullshit until you find something funny, or you don't, and then it's just like a 20 second joke. Well, Which is fine. I think it works for you. I think yeah. I think uh, you have a really good sense of humor, and it definitely shows. I'm surprised I haven't actually been. I didn't know you were doing monthly standups and throwing weekly shows. Like I didn't even know you don't do a lot on your Instagram. You should probably uh, start doing. Oh, that. dude, trust me, I know. Yeah. And by the way, if anybody listens to this, that can fucking help me with that shit. Yeah. Please, dear God, because I, mean, I am so bad. At, it's not that like I couldn't do it. I just don't really know how. I would be happy to help you brand please, your Instagram. Bro, we just do. had an entire branding class. Kevin yeah. would be so disappointed in you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not that I don't know what the brand is. I just I have a hard time telling people about it sometimes. I think your brand is you. I think you can just be genuine. Don't tell Kevin that I bad it. <laughs> I would never tell him that. Social media. He'll be so disappointed. <laughs> no, I grew wouldn't. up fucking idolizing that guy, by the way. Really? I went to his shit every summer, dude. I would actually I mean, yeah, you said you were a punk rock kid, right? Warp tour, yeah. that's what you're talking about? A warp tour all the time. I've never been to one. Oh, it was amazing. Too. From what I understand, Warped Tour was one of like the most monumental festivals, live events, like oh, yeah. lots of things for the music industry as a whole. Um, huge. Kevin's crazy. Uh, I feel very blessed that he's like a part of our college experience. He's oh, insane. Oh, yo, it's I, been so wonderful talking to you, JT. It's been a pleasure. Um, I think you're fucking hilarious. I'm sorry I haven't been to a show before. I'll definitely be out to some uh, coming up, and I'll definitely help you with your Instagram. It would be my pleasure. Yeah. Oh, we'll get you out for sure. Yeah, I, I seriously, I need help. Yeah. I would like to reiterate my my fucking plea. Yeah, if anybody Somebody really wants help. to help out. I'll definitely help you out, bro. I'm offering right, for real. I'll let you. If you made it this far, guys, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I love you. Uh, stay tuned next week for some more loving stuff jt shout out the instagram shout out what's coming up next where can people find you what's coming up this year so my instagram is at jt tomlinson uh that's t-o-m-l-i-n-s-o-n and uh and i finally just got the handle actually with like no periods or dashes nice but i still have no fucking idea what to do with it i mean it's just good for consistency (laughs) i'll take it yeah um so that's my instagram there's like six or seven posts on there and um yeah, I'm not really sure why I keep that thing around, but I need to stick with the name because at some point I'm going to need to use it. So. Exactly, yeah. Um, let's see, my next show is going to be this Monday at 9.30 p.m. That's uh, March 9th at the Hollywood Improv in the Lab, uh, which is with, that's with, uh, it's the Maya show, so it's Maya DiGiorgio. Preacher Lawson is the featured comic. They're both huge names. Preacher Lawson was like, I think he's like fifth on America's Got Talent. He's a huge comic. Uh, and then Alyssa Poti, I think is the host or she's the booker, but she's performing, and then myself. So that's Monday, March 9th at 9.30. And I think March, ooh, 
pro- I think it's going to be either the 13th or the 20th at the West Side Comedy Theater in Santa Monica. And that's going to be a Friday night at 6.30 p.m. Mm. And every Thursday, you host an event. Every Thursday, open mic. Us comedians, open mic. You get five minutes. Come down, you know, do some comedy. Sometimes people go up and they don't even have any jokes, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. You're totally welcome. I mean, you're not going to get any laughs, <laughs> but you can have attention and stage time yeah. until people tune you out. Yeah. That's totally cool. Uh, that's in the Ron Howard Theater of the Zemeckis Center at USC. It's off campus. It's on the corner of Figueroa and 32nd Street. Um, and that signups are at like 745. The mic starts at 8. That's every Thursday. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start coming to those for sure. I'll definitely show yeah, up. Yeah, I'll be there. No, it's a good time. You'll see me sitting there. What like I host it actually a lot. Okay, and hosting is something else, dude. I believe that because you got to come up with like a quip for every person, and it's like a lot. It's like every five minutes, and it's like ten people yeah. or whatever. Every yeah. five minutes, you have to go back up and like thank them and be super high energy, which I'm not terribly high energy. Like the first couple of times I hosted, I was like anti-host. I can I, see that. I'd go back up and somebody would leave the mic like askew, and I go. Thank you, Jonathan, for totally fucking up the mic. Yeah. <laughs> like, what an asshole that guy is. Give it up for him one more time. <laughs> I think that's funny, though. But yeah, but then, like, so you have to figure out something that they talked about and then figure out a way that you can talk about it and make it funny for, like, 15 people. It's a great, like, on your toes I was just going to say, it's good practice. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's so much fun. Love yeah. that. Um, all right, everybody. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening again. Bye. Say bye. Oh, bye. Yeah. Thanks, JT, for coming. (laughs) Sweat, baby, sweat, baby. Sex is a Texas drought. Me and you do the kind of stuff that only Prince would sing about. So put your hands down my pants, and I'll bet you'll feel nuts. Yes, I'm Cisco. Yes, I'm Ebert. And you're getting two thumbs up. You've had enough of two hand touch. You want it rough. You're out of bounds. I want you smothered. Want you covered like my waffle house. Hash browns coming quicker than FedEx. Never Apex, just like Google Coal Stock, you are inclined to make me rise an hour early, just like daylight savings time. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again now. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel.
mammal, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again now. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel.